0: Enemy power up detected. This is incoming missile. A MechWarrior Online podcast. Oh seven, MechWarriors, Cozen and Indigo here again, and in today's episode. The incoming missile crew are taking you back in time. If you listen to the podcast, you probably know that the MWO World Championship, the premier MWO competitive tournament, is being replaced this year with the MWO Comp Championship Series, with PGI opting to hand over the organisation of the tournament to the community. And the awesome Aussies that make up MWO Comp have jumped into the cockpit on this one. Now MWO Comp have opted for a slightly different structure this year uh, with some various paths to qualify for the finals. Uh, So if you haven't already, be sure to check out the discussion with No Guts, No Galaxy, uh, where Ash, Kras, and Live talk about how this year's competition uh, will play out. Now we'll also be talking to one or more of the Aussie lads soon uh, to explore the format and the rules a little bit deeper. Uh, But for now, we thought we might go forward Uh, by going back. Now this year is going to be different, uh, but do you remember at all what last year was like? Uh, A lot has happened between then and now, so we thought that we might re-release our post-comp discussion uh, with MWO Comp's Krasnipeski, who was kind enough to join us post his participation in last year's final series. And uh, he talked to us, of course, about the tournament itself, Uh, some of the keyboard related controversy at the time uh, and he also talked about what we might expect from this year's 2019's edition of the tournament. Now Kras is a real scholar of the game uh, and it was great to hear his insight at the time into comp Uh, particularly considering now that he's actually part of the uh, triumvirate that are bringing this year's tournament to life. So it was a good discussion at the time uh, and an interesting one to listen to in retrospect, given what we are now facing moving into this year's tournament. So enjoy this listen back to last year uh, and remember that qualifying has begun uh, for this year's tournament. Uh, You can jump into the comp queue with your team uh, during the competition windows Uh, that exist and fight for some of that ELO that might qualify you. Be sure to head along to the MWO Comp Discord uh, because that'll have all the announcements that relate to this year's tournament. uh, And that includes when those competition windows are, uh, they're posting links about specifically organized fight nights to make sure that teams all jump on at the same time so that you have someone to play. uh, And of course, it details those invitational tournaments that are happening uh, and being held for some of the teams that are able to qualify through that through that pathway. And yeah, jump on, of course, if you do want to be involved and you haven't got a team, uh, there's also some links in there to get you connected with uh, other people that want to play. Remember, there are some sweet, sweet rewards uh, for playing just 20-odd games. Now, remember, you can also support the tournament itself by heading along to Matcherino uh, and you can stump up some cash that will go directly for prize money uh, for the people that will win uh, and finish quite high in the tournament. Uh, And of course, taking that option means that there are some pretty sweet rewards that you can cash in, uh, including coming on and guest hosting this podcast uh, with myself and Captain Kat. As always, a big thank you to our patrons Dan N., Freerider AU, John Doe Iowa, MWO Comp, Jacob Sawyer, Shaky Snake, Bryos, Chill Gaps and Water Deer, Night of the Day, Nakora Durmgard, and Robin Merkley. Thank you guys, we really appreciate what you do and supporting us to keep this going. Right, let's get into it.
1: Today we're joined by Kresnopsky Kres Kras, oh, Uh let's just call him Kres. <laughs> uh, of First Jaguar Guards, who was recently in Vancouver to compete in the finals of MechWarrior World Championships 2018. So Kras, how you doing, mate?
2: Yeah, going well. It's a bit late over here, but apart from that, it's good.
1: <laughs> where, where are you holding up?
2: Currently in Calgary about an hour's flight away from vancouver visiting a mate
1: all right Chris. so what's your story how, how did you come to MechWarrior and um and also what led you into competitive play
2: like a lot of people i've played mech for a long time i believe i first started playing MechWarrior and mech 2 the pc It's
1: so pretty much first one that most people remember
2: yeah, I didn't quite get MechWarrior 1, Mech original one, but I got MechWarrior 2. I had MechWarrior 3, which I used to play with like a joystick. I didn't play MechWarrior 4. I missed that one for some reason. But I did play a lot of um, Mech Commander Gold, which was one of my favorite MechWarrior games.
1: Right, the RTS, right?
2: Yeah, so um, that was a great game. I really enjoyed that. And I I have recently tried to get sort of an a... E- a new, not a new MechWarrior, but a, a revamped MechWar Mech Commander that people have done with the Holy mods and everything. But I couldn't quite get it working, so it's going to be a, something I'm something to try and fix up on my computer in the future.
1: Nice. And so, you, when did you come into MechWarrior Online and Open Beta or?
2: No, it was a little bit after Open Beta. I started. It would have been, can't remember exactly now, but it would have been something like 2013. I'm sure. I'm sure you can see when you started somewhere in your profile. And I sort of just played on and off casually for the first couple of years and then event, and then I came back to the game I think it was in either season 2 or season 3 like when they first started the leaderboards just after they nerfed the um the Kodiak 3 for the first time they they well they didn't nerf it directly but they changed they changed the um Clan Ultra Auto cannons from being able to shoot all four at once to only being able to shoot two that's when I started playing and I basically haven't really stopped playing since then that was in 2016
1: Right, and so what's what's your trajectory from there, um, through to being a, a top damage scorer for First Jags?
2: Well, I wouldn't say I'm quite a top damage scorer. <laughs> that that was for maybe just the four the first four games of the semis, I think. I pretty quickly joined Clan Crossfire, which you now lead, and then um, we played. I can't remember exactly which season of MRBC it was, but it was. Division 3 AP, we played in an MRBC. And then shortly after that, I became the unit leader of Crossfire, which I led for a year and we did a fair few comps.
1: Yeah, full disclosure, Krez did used to be my boss.
2: <laughs> Still am, you know, but don't worry about that. <laughs> um, and then I joined First Jaguar Guards at the start of this year. I don't know exactly when, but it was sort of a, it was a slow transition as I made sure that Crossfire didn't collapse in on itself, so to speak.
1: There was left in good hands.
2: Yes, left in very good hands and <laughs> been quite successful since then, I believe. And then, yeah, so all this year I've been playing with the first Jaguar Guards, yeah, a few comps and things.
0: So, Chris, it's um obviously awesome to uh, talk to you and, if, and we were very keen to, I guess, get some first-hand experience of Metcon, of competing uh, at Metcon uh, and obviously of those games themselves. So did want to you know ask you a few questions, of course, about the games that went down. Uh, first, Jaguar Guard's games, um, and of course, EMP and Eon finding it out for one and two. But before we did, in, did get into that, um, you know, this year has been a little bit different in regards to the World Champs. Uh, it was stock mode. Uh, it was very limiting. Uh, you know, it was pretty almost controversial. I guess a lot of people had a lot of opinions about what it would be like. If anything, it was at least a dramatic change. So, we'd be really keen to um you know, talk to you a little bit about what that was like. I mean, what to begin with, at least, what was your opinion on stock mode on the change? Um, you know, and your experience of of playing under this new rule set.
2: Well, initially, when it was announced, like most people, I was a little bit upset. I didn't like the idea of stock mode being the um the primary sort of competition you know the the world championship is the biggest competition obviously in mech warrior i wasn't too fond of stock mode being revolving around that but um i think that it would probably be i think it, it went better than if it was it was just completely open i'll put it that way because if it was just completely open with every mech in the game and um and every weapon system and full customization um you tend to find that mechs tend towards very glass cannon builds, you know, to output the most amount of damage ever. And you would find something like there would be just say three machine gun lights, a streak boat, and then depending on the map and the play style, three assault mix of varying capabilities in most games. And the games would be decided over very minute things like oh the the enemy team's piranha was caught out by the streak boat and insta killed, for instance. Yeah. Or the enemy team's piranha got got behind your line and crit out the weapons on two of your assaults instantly and things like that. It'd be, um, and while people might argue that that might take more skill per se, I think it also lends a bit more um, just randomness to the game, which is not necessarily a good thing, the competition. Stock mode itself is, um, is as many people have said, a lot slower, but I also think there are some arguments to say that it's um, it can be more entertaining to watch and it can,
0: in a way, be a little bit easier for people to follow, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'd definitely be one of those that, that the slow pace for me made it easier to observe and at least easier to follow. And and it was a little bit easier to see what strategies needed to be implemented and how they were being implemented. You know, you talked about kind of that randomness or maybe the margin for error that just a piranha getting hit by streaks or critting out a weapon can decide the whole drop. That, that pace of comp at that level, that is something that um, whilst you appreciate the skill that's involved, it is a little bit hard to watch. That slowdown, I think, worked out pretty well overall and maybe was a net positive for the spectators. Do you think PGI intended that when they made the change? And, you know, for you as a player and for you guys as a team at that very top level, was it painful to play?
2: Yeah, it is a little bit painful to play, especially, um, I mean, the Wolfhound I run in, in solo queue typically runs 147 kilometres an hour. And the one in stock mode runs 97, and it's got about—it's probably got less than 25% of the cooling, which is can be quite frustrating. And that's—and the Wolfhound, I think, is one of the the better stock mechs, the nicer ones with an actually sort of decent loadout and armor distribution. But I, um, I did have experience—not—not not in the actual competition games, but in training, piloting the um, the annihilators, and that is—that is not something I would wish upon anyone. to pull those 32 kph annihilators with half the armor they're meant to is is um incredibly frustrating
1: yeah we we had a lot of a lot of drops where the position of the annihilator decided the game because they were so slow
2: we we had games during the open season where we tried to we tried to stop data from getting any damage at all if we could um if we could rush and kill the enemy quick enough he would never make it to the fight (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's a little mini game we we put into ourselves as we were grinding through the queue. Do you think, Chris, that you've kind of alluded to the fact that it was a little bit harder to make it work uh, and, you know, use the Annie as an example because of how slow it was. I mean, with what PJ were trying to achieve with the change, it did make a better spectacle for watching you and those top teams go at it. But uh, competition-wide and say for a team like Clan Crossfire who were competing... Uh, a little bit lower down the tree we did find it tremendously difficult and for lower skilled pilots like myself it only accentuated the fact that I was lower skilled overall you know what do you think the the change meant for competition as a whole even though it was a better spectacle so more people watched it did it have the right influence on the people that were playing it
2: well, I think I don't know the exact statistics, but I think you may be wrong when you say more people watched it because I don't know. Again, I don't know the exact numbers, but I have a feeling that less people watched it actually than the past years. Yeah. But re- regardless of that, it may or may not have been a better spectacle. It seems to have been. Um, but in terms of the actual compete competition and competitors, I think that it was it was a good shakeup. I think it worked mm. in that it sort of—I know I don't, I don't like to say it—but it, it did make it a bit the competition a bit more fresh. I suppose yeah. <laughs> it's not a yeah. not a word I like to associate with the stock mode. But <laughs> yes, um, in terms of the hopes of PGI, I think Russ said this that he wanted more um, like quote unquote b league teams to yeah. participate. I think that wasn't quite correct because as you increase the um, the time to kill of mechs. So does the 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 skill gap widens, I suppose yeah. you could say. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. if you have to trade repeatedly, you know, a, a better team and a better player will will trade repeatedly better. So that gap will just continue to increase and increase where it becomes almost impossible. You can't you can't just get lucky and win it and win the, you can get lucky in the trade, but it doesn't mean as much. The the amount of luck you could have in having a critical shot or something reduces as yeah. the time to kill increases. So, I think, in terms of actually competing it 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 didn't help, I suppose, like you know, bring in the teams, there's a skill disparity, yeah. and it certainly didn't help in terms of um teams willing to compete because I think this was the by far the lowest year in terms of teams in the competition
1: and and you spoke about your own sort of internal mini game I quite enjoyed as the sort of drop caller captain, the mini game of pouring through those lists of the available stock mechs and trying to work out of those bad options, which were the least bad. How about you?
2: We did a fair amount of, I suppose, theory crafting and testing, especially when it was sort of just announced that it was going to be stock. I haven't looked at a compiled list yet of all the mechs that we used. I'm, I'm, I presume that someone will make something like that eventually, if they haven't already and I just haven't come across it. But a lot of the mechs were very common across the drops. I mean, the uh, there was slight variations in the top end but not a great deal. You know, if you just have a look at the mechs that were played at MetCon, with a few exceptions of surprising ones that were pulled out the last minute that worked quite well. Um, an example being Eon's Dragon on Grimplexus. Mm. Most of the um most of the mechs were sort of pretty stock like <laughs> stock standard, I suppose, <laughs> by then. <laughs>
0: That's nice. So it's a really interesting perspective, um, Chris. I mean you've you've kind of talked about two competing things there that it was a, a good spectacle, but perhaps it, it didn't. Um, it encouraged um, people to enjoy watching it you didn't necessarily get more people watching it and you didn't necessarily get more people playing it i mean so if you were to to rank it overall i guess and particularly given that you've got so much experience with you know the other competitions as well uh your roles with um with battle for midway and mrbc and stuff like that previously being a captain and all of that how do you think it has fared overall i mean if you were to give it a rating when you're taking all of those things into account and and the impact that it's had on the comp scene
2: it's a bit difficult to give it an actual i suppose a number rating but i would say that it's it hasn't been it hasn't been completely negative Mm. put it that way i think it would have been worse as i mentioned before if it was just a completely open system I don't think that if it was just a complete open any mech, any, any sort of build you know, with the tonnage limits that they had and such, I don't think it would have been better. I think it would have been worse in that case. But I do, really- in saying that, I do think it would be a mistake to repeat the stock mode again next yeah. year. Which, yeah, um, which I have spoken to a few, few PGI people and they, they were, you know, they've, so far they're thinking the same thing that they won't repeat stock mode next year. But again, nothing is set
1: in stone at all at this point. That's gratifying to hear. And, and I think potentially a little bit later we'll talk about, you know, what kind of learnings maybe we can take from this and maybe some other, you know, maybe there's some other options out there of, of ways that you can take what's good about this and, 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 and put it into a more open kind of game format.
2: One suggestion um, I did hear at Metcon, I can't remember who it was, it might have been one of the 228 wild ones who did attend, was that next year you could potentially have the same tech base with, this, with the same you know 3025 or whatever whatever tech they called it, you know, with a few extra chassis, but have the ability to use the Meclab with that technology. Might be a good middle ground, perhaps.
0: Uh, at least the stock mode did have that refresh um, that you were saying, Chris, uh and... If nothing else, it might have brought competition back to the forefront, to people's minds. You know, and certainly the, the quality of the finals games was enough, regardless of the format, it was enough to remind people just how good it can be to see MechWarrior uh, at that level.
2: Yeah, I hope it's had a positive impact. I mean, the the last year hasn't definitely not been the best year for competition. The sort of, the, I suppose, comp in Warrior online really peaked at when I sort of started playing around 2016 and early 2017, they had a peak in terms of the um, the number of people watching comp and the number of teams participating in competitions. This year, this 2018 year has seen a different reduction in teams in viewership across the different competitions. But, we'll, you know, we'll just have to see what comes in the next following years. I very much doubt there will be a um, necessarily a, a large revival in comp without without significant changes
0: or updates to the game we certainly want to talk to you about those changes um but before we did if um what we'd want to see in comp is at least a repeat of the spectacle that we did see at metcon because yeah i thought the games were a a fantastic advertisement of of what comp can be um and it almost doesn't matter the format when you put uh, those high skilled players and those uh, teams together then you get something awesome so it's gonna be um, the time where we talk to you a little bit about those games, Krez. But I mean, before we talk about the games specifically, you know, what was the environment like? I mean, it was the first time there for um, first Jaguar Guards. I mean, can you set the scene a little bit for the listeners about what it was like being up there on stage and and, and at the event? Well, MetCon itself, I, I quite enjoyed.
2: I thought they had a, they had a nice setup. It seemed I'd only I hadn't been, of course, to the other two, but I'd seen them on stream and. The, just the venue they had for the past ones was a lot smaller and they did run them over one day. Even myself just watching the games on stream, it was tiring just watching the games throughout the entire day on stream, let alone like not even playing the games. So the fact that they had Metcon running over two days in a larger venue, I think worked really well. Uh, Metcon itself and um, the competitors in the competition had a really good sort of vibe to it. Everything was functioning quite well, I would say, for the most part. Playing up on stage was um, not, it did, I don't think it it didn't, um, how do I put it, it didn't affect me or it didn't change my game overly. I'm, I'm sort of used to living in the middle of a city where there's often quite a lot of noise and distractions and things. So it didn't didn't affect me too much. I was more concentrated on the game. But I, I did hear from some of my other team members that they found certain things a little bit distracting. A very funny but something that was true was, you know, they had some big speakers set up so people could hear um, you could actually, you could feel the vibrations in the stage when there was an airstrike going off from the bass and the speakers. Some haptic feedback. Yeah, so you can literally feel the vibration through the stage. So you'd forever be, you'd feel, this, feel the start of the vibration and you, go, and you sort of go, oh, oh crap, like, is, there an, is an airstrike going to come and hit me? <laughs> a little bit of a funny moment.
1: In, the, in that same vein, like, I, I wondered when I was watching the stream, like, obviously... I can hear the echo of the announcers saying, okay, and he's moving up to Kappa and hopefully he doesn't get noticed. And I'm thinking, can they hear? Can the teams hear him saying that?
2: Yes, but it, it would be incredibly hard to isolate something like that um, because the, you have the headphones on and they are noise cancelling headphones and you have eight or seven other people in a team speak with you on comms and you have turned your sound up in game so you can hear mech footsteps if you need to or whatever. So even though the announcers were loud, it was quite muffled. You could you could you could hear you could hear the announcers speaking when the game wasn't on, like you know when you're doing the map banner thing, and people were relatively yeah. quiet. But actually, in the game, you'd have to really be like, you'd have to be making extreme concerted effort to be able to hear and say and understand what they were saying.
1: So just before we get and and talk about the games themselves, we're talking about hardware. So what what was it like playing? With you know pre-made computers and you know new headphones, uh, potentially mice and keyboards, and uh, and and zero ping as well.
2: Yeah, the hardware was fine. It was a bit annoying because the graphic the graphical settings are um are completely locked on the MetCon on the MetCon client, so you couldn't change any at all. So that was a bit interesting to sort of be unable to change those graphical settings and having more distractions, I suppose. Um, like when you go drop into Ruberlite, there's a lot of sort of you know visible wind sort of shifting all around the map mm. which i didn't like you know there's things like that that you can't get rid of in terms of the hardware um well the the mouse that they use is the mouse that i use so that was fine i didn't even have to use my mouse i brought they used the the razor death adder elite so i just used the mouse they had there um i did have to change the keyboard because even though they used a razor keyboard i used a different one which had different keys and it felt Felt too way too different, but most of the competitors brought their own mouse and keyboard and um and mouse mouse pad as well, which is can be quite important. Funny thing was the actual mouse pads they had were just like a you know a standard size one, like you might see at a library. So even though they were a Razer mouse pad, like it was like a really small mouse pad, and you just it's almost impossible to use something like that in a game like Mech Warrior or any competitive first person shooter really.
1: And what about the zero ping? Did you notice the difference?
2: Yes, I didn't. I did notice the difference. I mean, I'm um, I usually play at around 160 ping on the NA server, or moving up to 200 and something odd in on EU. Like your your laser, the laser vomit, the was which is the only weapon system I used. I only used four medium lasers and one large laser. The entire tournament it was more precise, and you could get cleaner burns in on on particularly light mechs, like things like their legs. Um, but you could also, of course, you know your enemy could do the same. So it's sort of it was all even. You could shoot more precise, but they could shoot more precise. I don't think it gave anyone an edge, so to speak, or anything. It was just a little bit different. You just had to, how do I put it, you had to make sure you had to land your shots because, you know, there's very good chance that your enemy will land the shots. Whereas yeah. sometimes when you're playing with 160 ping in a light mech in particular, the enemy might land their shot, but the shot doesn't really land. It doesn't reg properly, so you, you only get like half damage, for instance. Hit reg in mech warrior online can work either way, it seems. Sometimes it's beneficial to you, sometimes it isn't, and it's just luck of the draw. Sometimes, you you know, nothing seems to register. you, and pilots you know can always shoot straight, will shoot straight, but still not do damage to you. Other times, you know, you can't seem to land shots on the enemy light and their, and their SRMs, like, clean hit you in the CT. Those bloody commandos. Oh, the commandos don't seem to register damage, at, at, regardless of ping. But <laughs> they've got problems with their hit boxes, especially around their um their torsos. That's happened for years. Like, they, they absorb shots because of something. It must, there must be something wrong with the meshing of them, of their hitboxes. They must have holes in the hitboxes or something.
0: All right, Chris, so you've set the scene for us. Uh, you and the team are lined up. The sound's been muffled. You've sorted out your keyboard, your mouse. You guys are ready to go. You're a little bit nervous, but yeah, you guys are all pretty cool cucumbers and ready to go. Let's talk about drop one. Let's talk about keyboard gate. Tell us it from your perspective, man. Give us the give us the rundown of what it was like for you for the team uh, of um, you know winning convincingly in that first drop and then um, kind of having that redacted.
2: Well, from my perspective, I, I think I I high fived Dargol who was on my left, and then I started talking about which which maps we were going to ban next, and then someone tapped me on the shoulders and said redrop, and then walked away.
0: And was that a reef?
2: Yeah, that was a ref. Yeah, so that was the that was the information I received, and then a bit of confusion ensued. But regardless, we we spoke about it, and it was going to be a redrop, and then we redropped, and that was a bit a bit devastating, I suppose, having our first match and our first win taken away. In terms of what sort of happened and unfolded, you know, we sort of got more information about that later after the after the matches. But from my understanding, um, it was identified early that there was a problem with one of the E.M.P. players' keyboards. EMP like you know they basically told them as soon as as soon as there was a problem early in the match that there was a problem and for some reason that I cannot fathom the referees decided that they would sort that out
0: after the drop yeah so talk us through that quiz because that's that's one of the points that we wanted to talk to you about I mean you've obviously got exp- a lot of experience uh, in comp uh, in riffing, in being admin in helping structure uh, comp games and make up rules and, and that kind of stuff should that have been the approach what should have been the alternative approach? Well, this is some feedback
2: I gave directly to the organisers of the tournament. In the tournament client, which is also the Metcon client, you've got three spectator slots. So during Metcon, two of the slots were taken up by the shoutcasters, Bandit and MDM. Um, And the third slot was just not used, not utilised. And and for some reason, the referees who were standing behind us and quite quite a good few metres away, you basically had to walk through the crowd to get to the shoutcasters did not have any way of contacting the shoutcasters or talking between themselves. They didn't have any microphones or on them. And they didn't have any direct way to actually influence the game, which I find is extremely strange. What should have happened is there should be one referee in that third spectator slot with the power to pause the game if necessary, and that's what should have occurred. I and mean, it it's not even about like things like comp- competition, how it's run in MechWarrior. It's about how competitions are run, including like sporting competitions. For instance, in 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 um, football or soccer, depending on where you're from, if you're going to give if a referee is going to give someone a yellow card, they have to give it to them before the before the next play starts. If if play is resumed, you can't you can't go oh this guy did this thing five minutes ago. I'm going to give him a yellow card now. It just doesn't work that way. And the same thing, same concept should apply. If there's a problem that's going to cause a redrop, the game should be first paused. And if it needs discussion, discussion,
0: and then it should be redropped. You should not allow it to go f- through to the end. I mean, you said you threw a high five. You know, you started talking about the, you know, what's next, thinking that that one was under the belt, and that's that's the the real kicker, isn't it? It's that feeling of getting off on the right foot, or that feeling of victory, starting the way you wanted, and then having that taken away. That's the reason why you need to call it mid match, so that no one goes through that feeling. I mean, is that what you think? it was even spoken to us before the matches began from the referees that,
2: that if, if there was a problem, you need to speak up and then they will, you know, they'll take the necessary actions then and there and that it wouldn't, and there wouldn't be, and they wouldn't be, and they literally said there wouldn't be like necessarily, I suppose, redrops from things that were said afterwards, which is fine. Like I'm not, don't get me wrong. Like, There was no wrongdoing on EMP's part in terms of this. They did the right thing. They identified a problem. It was all the problem from the referee's perspective. I I don't know why the decisions were made the way they were, but they were made, and um, I I think it was definitely the wrong decision
1: in this case. And not only that, but I'd like to mention as well that you guys did a map ban. You went in, you picked a map, and you went in there with a strategy that you guys had probably been developing for weeks, if not months, and then... That was basically spoiled by having to do it again and not getting to choose that map.
2: Yes, one hundred percent. It was that that strategy that we did on Rubellite. That was we wanted to pick Rubalite against EMP on that team and implement that strategy because it was a counter strat for what EMP did on that drop, and it would only work once properly. And it worked. Like um, we ganked their light on the North Cap as 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 we planned, and that light mech happened to be the Locust. EMP's mm. locust and on a large map like Ribolite to lose your a light mech, particularly your locust within the first three minutes of or four minutes of the game is it's it's very devastating to do that. It's very difficult to come back from something like that. And then having to redrop that map, the, the strategy we had developed for that particular case, you know, it it almost worked. We only lost by five points the next one, but it clearly didn't work anywhere near as well because they knew what we were going to do or what potentially we could have
1: done. That was a really tight game and, and it was, um, although I was, you know, obviously supporting you guys, I mean, it was a tight game and it was exciting to watch. And, so, and because it was a redrop, it was particularly hard to take that five tickets. <laughs> so close.
2: I mean, don't get me wrong, regardless of what's happened on this first drop, it wouldn't have changed the outcome. EMP were definitely the better team than us on, on this particular weekend. So it wouldn't. I don't think it would have made a difference at all in terms of the actual competition or the results of it. But it it was a disappointing start to the tournament. It didn't affect your momentum or your morale in the team. Oh yes, of course it did. But I I don't think it mattered that much. Like I I don't think it was a, it was a big enough effect to have, you know. I don't think if it didn't have happened, we would come second. I'll put it yeah. that way. I think we were, going, we were going, based on our performance of how we played at Metcon, I think we were always
0: going to come third.
1: And a convincing third team there, I, I have to say. No, thank you.
0: I mean, it's a good perspective, Chris, and I think probably what we did see from EMP is they did get better as the tournament went on. You know, there was some talk about uh, whether they would be able to... Did they, to, Well, their cohesion, I think, was definitely better. I mean, they ran into EON ultimately uh, but uh, you know I, I do think they were better from where they were in the in you know the final 12.
2: I'm, I'm not sure I agree.
0: So I mean so take us through that man what um uh, you know how you know, how did you view their team and and you know if they didn't get better why do you think that was the case?
2: Yeah A.M.P. E- may have got may have got a little better but I don't I don't think it was from cohesion throughout the weekend. I think that was a product of of their training and preparation from the semis and I don't think they got immensely better personally. I mean, and the games, the games of Eon versus EMP were even. though there were quite a few close games, and that Eon Eon was was much stronger, and they convincingly won. I I think that personally, the like our team did not have adequate preparation for MetCon, and I think we played worse than when we did in the semis, and that was more of a factor
0: in the um in the results. What do you think? they came down to. I mean, um, you know, was it the pressure of the the stage? You know, was it uh, the travel?
2: Well, they were they were factors. I don't think they were the main factors. I think the the primary factors were lack of adequate preparation from our team. So leading up leading up to the event, I don't think yeah. we did enough scrims. I don't think we did enough lobbies. I don't think that some members of our team
0: played enough just in general. And I think in the end that showed. Bandit and MDM talked about the fact that Eon did a lot of scrims outside of their unit. You know that they sought out other units to scrim with. Is that something that JGx would? potentially look to do say for next year
2: yeah i mean we we ideally we'd um we'd like to participate more in some player run comps throughout the year because we Mm. did miss battle for midway as like jjx didn't play in battle for midway which was right before metcon and yeah i've already started to contact a few teams to see if they'd be interested um in scrims next year we'd like to get them going at least semi-regularly at the start of the year and then moving on to you know, once,
0: once we know what the exact rules of the World Cup are, then moving on to a bit more regularly, of course. So, uh, any team captains out there listening, do uh, contact Krasnopeski for uh, some uh, scrims with uh, JGX.
2: Yep, Discord's the best
0: way. <laughs> Now, um, I did want to add at this point too, when we we're kind of talking about these differences, um, you know, between how JGx went and how EMP went, and how Eon went, we are talking about some very high level teams. So, you know, when you're talking about the difference between these teams, it can seem big, but when you've got these guys competing at that level, it can take something relatively small and it can make a big difference because you know these guys are just that damn good. Those two drops out of the way, Krez. You know, Rublight, uh, Redacted. Uh, you guys then went into Canyon and and drop two, and then Grim and drop three. Is there anything that you wanted to to tell us about those drops, or how you think those went?
2: Some members of of First Jaguar have have reviewed those. I um, I briefly had a look at them while I was at MatCon. I don't think for those particular two drops there was anything necessarily outstanding.
1: Pasha was pretty outstanding, I have to say. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, individual parts may have been outstanding, but I mean, in, in terms of the overall teams, um, we just we just we just lost both those games fairly convincingly. We um there were mistakes, particular mistakes made in our movements, just little like you like you described before. They they could be very minor, but they were there and they were enough to cause us to lose.
1: It's interesting as a spectator to try and you know, it's it's really easy and obvious to see. Where all the mechs are on the battlefield when you're watching, but of course when you're in the cockpit, you're only getting all those targeting info that's relayed to you by teammates and and things people are telling you in your headphones, and so it's there's an interesting disconnect there between what we can see as spectators and what you can see on the battlefield yourself.
2: You know, it's 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 also one of those things. It's hindsight is always twenty twenty. <laughs> so when you look back at a um at a recording of you playing, you go, oh, it's it's very obvious what you should have done here, here, and here, and it wasn't done. Yeah, you're correct in saying that it is it is a bit more difficult in the moment, and that comes down to um, team cohesion, communication, which comes from you know practice,
1: regular practice, and preparation for the matches. And you, you talked about practice and prep a lot, and I wanted to ask you um quickly about when you were in Vancouver, you got some time between the games. We I believe you had a room that you could use for playing and discussing and things like that. And were you able to make come up with much strategy in in those times and get some good practice in was it mostly trying to distract yourself before the next one
2: there were no computers in those rooms
1: so there
2: was was no opportunity to practice but um yeah there was plenty of time to talk about our strategies so we initially of course went through our own strategies and what we had prepared and made sure everyone knew exactly what they were doing for each particular drops and then after the games um we had those rooms to talk about what happened in the drops and then what happened in other, the other games and what we should change or modify or do to improve on the situation. But yeah, there was very little um, time to actually like prepare in terms of playing the actual Macquarie game. I think Eon, who the majority of Eon's team, I believe, got to Vancouver a few days before most other people. I think they went to a, a, an internet cafe to, to do a bit of preparation which was probably a smart move on their behalf because it would have, would have helped with the jet lag as well as,
0: you know, get some preparation in. You've mentioned it obviously a few times here, Chris, but would that be the key takeaway for you? Because I think for listeners that haven't either competed in comp or certainly haven't competed to that level, is it hard to understate just how important that prep is when you're dealing with such, you know, teams that are really, really close together?
2: Well, if you look at EMP success over the last three years, and probably going back a bit more, it's all come down from the fact that they have had, you know, eight V eight internal lobbies for the past three years and they've managed to maintain that, you know, if they had not put in that effort and they would not have been two times world champion and, you know, and silver medalist this year, yeah. it, just would, it just won't occur. And I mean, you, you do need, of course, like a, a quite a, a decent amount of skill to be able to make it up to the level. But then once you get up to the level, then regular like, you know, practice and just playing the game is, is what's going to make the difference between these teams. You could look at 1v1, like, so for example, right? When you get toward, towards the top level, the 1v1s are very close and they can go either way many times. And there are little edges you can get, which often come down to the mech lab. But the 1v1s generally don't require as much situational awareness and cohesion. But when you have eight people, then you all need to have like, you know, a high, high level of cohesion and understanding yeah. of each other's gameplay style, I suppose, and roles. And Eon
0: talked about it directly as well there, I guess, about, you know, that, that those words cohesion and synergy and just understanding what each other are doing and sometimes not even needing to talk about it, just being constantly watching the mini map and, and, and having that situational awareness. You did talk about the 1v1s and, and the small difference in pilot skill. I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot here, Chris, because when we did talk to um, Bandit and MDM, obviously they talked about your performance and just how strong it had been leading up. You have been one of the top pilots this year across the comp scene, even with the just how small that difference can be. You Obviously you, you know, did a lot of damage, had a lot of kills. And whilst the finals themselves crowded you out a little bit in, in the influence that you could have, I mean can you take us a little bit inside of me why are you playing so well at the moment what's the you know what's the difference yeah, again it's just the preparation
2: i mean i i built a Wolfhound that was very similar to the to the stock one which i was going to play or comp mm-hmm. and i played about 400 hours of it in throughout the year in the um in the quick play queue. wow i mean like, just the, that preparation just gets you gets you a better understanding of the of the particular chassis and I made a, it was a, it's a six medium laser Wolfhound, you know, with a big XL engine and double heat sinks and all that, but it still has a, you know, the same weapon systems and it still has the same agility profile now that with the engine desync. So it still operates in much the same way as the stock one I was using. And I think just that preparation was very helpful. You know, know, a lot of players play many mechs and it's just, it comes down to game time as well. If you've got it's like any, it's like a sport or or any competition, you know, whatever, regardless of what the actual medium of it is. If you're doing a lot more of it, provided you're doing it right, you know, it's, it's going to give you an edge over people who aren't doing it very much.
1: I think that's a key point that you've made as well, is that you've got to do it right. I could put a thousand hours into something and still not be as good as you if I don't criticize myself and like think about how I could do it better and all that kind of stuff as well, you know?
2: Yeah, that's that's a very important part. And, I mean, being able to identify your own weaknesses can be very difficult, especially, I find, um, in anything. you Once you hit a certain skill level, it can be very difficult to know where you need to go forward without external help. Many of the first Jaguar Guards have played comp, McWarrior comp, quite a lot longer than I have. Some of them some of them like um Pasha for instance and Data have played Comp in MechWarrior 4 for a very very long time and I think it's important that not only to have self reflection but also to you know have discussions with with other pilots and other players around you know what areas you should look at improving and where you think weaknesses lie I think that sort of things important because yeah you're right in that you can you can put in thousands of hours but if they're not effective hours then it's it's not a waste of time if you're having fun, of course, because it is a video game, but it's, it's not going to help you improve your performance.
0: Yeah, it's a good, good philosophy for life, I think. Yeah, I guess whilst JJX finished um, third on the board, I think you guys finished first for um, handsomeness and style at least. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, the, the, um, some, of the, some of the Italians did enjoy their, their collared <laughs> shirts and long sleeves after, <laughs> after the
0: competition was finished. Uh, you're doing all right, Crazy. Did you have singlets and stubbies on or, you know, maybe some jandals, you yeah, know, classic Australian cultural garb?
2: It was a bit too cold to have, um, to be wearing jandals, as you call them.
1: <laughs> thongs, as Australians call them. In, in New Zealand, thongs are something else entirely.
0: In most of the world, <laughs> thongs are something else entirely. <laughs> and you also probably wouldn't wear them out to town, uh, yeah. <laughs>
2: Oh, it depends what sort of night you're after, would not
1: it? <laughs> yeah, it is Vancouver after all. You pulled back the curtain there a bit, Chris. You guys hit the town afterwards, huh?
2: Yeah, yeah. Quite a quite a few of us did. We um went out and had some um some drinks at some pubs and things around town. Was, yeah. Saturday night was more of a more of a dinner with not very much alcohol because we mm. all wanted to be um, nice yeah. and sharp for the next day's competition. But Sunday night was quite good. A lot of us, a lot of the competitors, and just um other people, organisers and refs and Other people attending Metcon sort of went out to various places, had some nice
0: socialising. It was quite a good
2: night.
1: Oh, that's awesome to hear.
0: Yeah. Look, that was one of the key takeaways, and we covered it kind of in part one of our recap, was it really did seem as though the vibe there was fantastic and the camaraderie and the sportsmanship, I think, that the teams showed uh, was just fantastic. I mean, yeah, I think that added to the spectacle when you could see that you guys were going hard in the paint uh, competing. But afterwards, it was you know it was handshakes and backslaps and and it yeah it really did seem like it was a good vibe there so yeah I, th- I think that came through
2: yeah yeah the feel of not just the competition but the whole the MetCon in general was very good had a had a very good friendly sort of atmosphere and uh, and it was nice yeah it was very nice it definitely made the um the whole experience of the thing much yeah. more enjoyable than if it was you know I suppose people being angry at each other or not getting along yeah.
1: and one thing more that I did want to ask you before we moved on which is Every year I hear people talk about the food and that the catering's really good. I just I can't, what is so great about this catering?
2: Yeah, the catering was phenomenal. It's almost the sort of food you'd ex- you'd expect to receive at not not necessarily a high-end restaurant, but a sort of an upper-middle restaurant. It was it was really good quality food. It was very good
0: quality food. That makes me want to go twice as much.
2: Yeah, yeah, they definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and I mean um for, for <laughs> the competitors, competitors, at least, we all received the uh, the VIP bracelets, which there were a very limited number of, and that gave you um, access to an um, an unlimited bar.
0: Now I want to go three times as much.
2: <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> that, yeah, that, that was definitely a, a good point.
1: But potentially, you know, those tickets are pretty good value when you consider that you get two days of entertainment and food in, a, in an open bar and all this other stuff, you know, obviously all the things that people go there to see the mech pods and stuff like that
2: oh yeah yeah if you can if you can buy the if you if you're interested in going you definitely want to get the vip ticket if you can if you can manage to get it because i do believe they were um they were sold out quite fast the vip tickets they were only like a very limited number they're actually selling something like 50 or something but you definitely want to get one of those if you can
0: all right with the mech on 2018 in the review mirror in the finals We'd be remiss if we didn't take the chance, Krez, to talk to you about maybe uh, what both the World Champs next year should and might look like, uh, and probably even more than that, maybe what comp could look like, you know, moving up and leading up into that, uh, including, of course, player run and player organised tournaments. Can you give us just a brief rundown, I guess, about where you think the comp, you know, the health of the comp scene, where you think the comp scene should go? Uh, and this time next year when we're reflecting on uh, the world champs um, what do you think they should look like
2: well i suppose i'll start out by mentioning that there definitely will be a world championship again next year because Mm. i have i have heard some rather cynical people say oh you know there might not even be one next year that's all but 100 percent certain that there actually will be one as to what format it will be in is undecided even by pgi at this point in time From my understanding, PGI will have discussions next year, probably around February or March, as to what actual format it should go. At this stage, from the indications I got, it most likely won't be a stock tournament. But in saying that, I'm not sure if it'll be just necessarily an open tournament either. It'll be interesting to see what they eventually decide. In terms of the comp scene in general, like I said, it has been in decline, unfortunately. And I think... Until there are major changes to the game, like major, major changes to the game, I think it will continue to be in decline. But in saying that, uh, it'll, it'll still, it'll still be um, healthy enough to continue running for quite a number of years, um, in my opinion. We are, um, and when I say we, the the Battle for, for Midway admin team are looking at running, not necessarily a Battle for Midway competition, but some sort of player run competition mm. next year around generally March, March, April sort of time frame. So that's something that. Um, people who are interested should keep an eye out for all that organization will most likely be run through um the mrbc discord and possibly the tournament page as we've done with past battle for midways but that'll all be linked and you know sent to the to the pgi forums and um and reddit and things and generally i go and contact past teams to let them know in case they've missed it as well particularly some of the teams who don't who don't speak english as a first language yeah i'm 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 hoping there's more than just those two tournaments. Hopefully someone will step up and, and do some other sort of tournament as well in an in appropriate time throughout the year, but we'll just have to see, won't we?
1: And I'd really throw my support behind anyone listening who wants to take their game to the next level. You don't have to be a top player to play in competitive. You just have to try hard. <laughs> um, there's, there's multiple divisions of BFM and you know your team will be able to find a space uh, that fits them. We talked about what it takes to be a good player and, and really at some point in your trajectory, playing competitive is one of the things that it takes to be good.
2: Yeah, I mean, I do know a few players who are very good pilots and haven't played much comp at all. Definitely, Definitely a vast majority of good, of the of the better players in this game will will gravitate towards playing competition in some form.
1: One thing I really notice is that there's a lot of pilots who are individually very good and would be an asset to a team but not necessarily the kind of pilots it would take to make a really good competitive player because they're used to playing on their own. They're used to relying on themselves.
2: Yeah, there's a whole, there's a whole other subset to playing competitively in like an 8v8 sort of competition. You can be a very good 1v1 pilot, doesn't Or a very good, like, um, you know, you can be the top 0.1% in the, in the pug queue. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll be the top 0.1% of the competition because there are there is a whole range of different skill sets you have to learn. And in particular, one of those skill sets, especially when you're starting out with comp, is listening and following instructions, and not being and being willing to accept other people's instructions, as opposed to just doing what you want to
1: do, even if it leads to your death.
2: Yeah, yeah. And some, sometimes, sometimes you will just have to just throw yourself death. in there to win the match, even if it's going to get your mech destroyed. That happens all mm-hmm. the time. Yeah, we saw that a lot in. Um, and even at metcon with you know with max holding holding onto the caps for as long as they could even know it'll mean the death when is the most important thing as opposed to the the personal performance
0: i guess the one thing we can say about comp does require that that subset of skills that you're talking about craze and the good thing about that is that it is rewarding in a different way as well you know the emphasis on teamwork means that you're getting something else out of comp that you can't really get even through group queue or faction play and that's kind of a Regardless of your skill level, get a team together and and get into these uh, some of these player run comps because you know you'll start to get uh, rewards out of the game that, that you haven't up until now. And for me as a kind of low skilled comp player, that's you know it's a completely different buzz and I really enjoy it. Uh, for that reason, you know even though I'm not not capable of competing at that real high level, uh, there's just something else about comp um, that makes it rewarding. So uh, you know moving into 2019, everyone that's listening, we if you're not already. Uh, do hook up with the team and uh, and do seek out some of these comps because it is a is a completely different game and and rewarding in a completely different way
2: yeah uh, i find it by far the most rewarding part of this game playing playing in comp playing proper organized matches and and as you mentioned like if people want to start out you know we have we have divisions in the player run competition for a reason you know there's designed to give everyone everyone of any skill level a chance to play against people of similar skill level so it's not just completely being being destroyed without being able to have any fun or do anything
0: absolutely if i can play it then anyone listening can play it because you're probably better than me at the game okay so just don't uh, you know you're, you're underrating you can,
2: yourself a bit there cozen
0: well you can play you can play he can't constantly. he does it constantly, he doesn't play constantly. Your part, it's a kiwi part in the team uh and, and you know you can contribute by listening <laughs> and going where you're supposed to be going so Someone at your um, skill level, Chris, you almost have to have comp, you know, when you get uh, as good at the game as yourself and, and everyone was um, in those finals. You have to have comp to be able to be tested. So, you know, it does play a vital role in in the game, uh, in the scene. You know, we want um, those top players like yourself to be able to compete and provide that spectacle. But um, for lack of a better word, we also need those grassroots tournaments. You know, we we need uh, people playing at all those divisions to make the whole scene um, healthy. So. Yeah, let's hope uh, that we do see, if not some growth, then at least um, people are not moving away uh, from comp and and still wanting to come along and play. Yeah, it's quite well said. All right, well, that has been a fantastic insight uh, into Metcon and into the finals. Uh, Again, to uh, get it from... you know, the, the viewpoint of uh, someone that was there. Jaguar's mouth. Yeah, I was going to say the horse's mouth, uh, and then I was going to say the Italian stallion's mouth, but it um, uh, doesn't, doesn't quite match up either. <laughs> <laughs> but to, to get it from the mouth of someone that's been there and done it um, is a fantastic insight, Chris. So thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for giving us uh, that view uh, of Metcon uh, from, from up on the stage and, and playing those games. Uh, is there anything else um, that you wanted to add, man, or, or say
1: to the listeners?
2: No, not particularly. I think we've said it all. Thanks for having me on the show. It was, was a pleasure doing the podcast.
1: We've got to ask you before you go, it's become a bit of a tradition now. What's your favourite mech?
2: What's my favourite mech?
1: Wolfhound. <laughs> Never play the Wolfhound again.
2: No, you'll probably see me in the Wolfhound. I, no, this this is, again, this is where the competitive side of me comes out. My favourite mech is, is with whichever one performs the best.
0: Yeah, yeah. I knew you would say that, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone, if you do see Kraz in his um, stock Wolfhound, make sure you do run the other way. And uh, yeah, we would certainly encourage everyone out there. uh, If you haven't tried comp, uh, do give it a go. Join with the unit um, and yeah, uh, talk to people like Kraz. Jump on the MRBC uh, Discord, uh, engage in Battle for Midway and any any of those other uh, player-based tournaments that are happening. um, Do put your hand up uh, if you can manage the time zone because yeah, they're healthier the comp scene.
1: I think they're healthier the game in general. Nice. Thanks for coming on, man. Point three, reporting task complete.
0: If you did enjoy this content, then please consider supporting us. You can do this in a multitude of ways, including subscribing to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leaving reviews, as well as subscribing to us on YouTube and liking our videos. You can also support us by sending us feedback either through comments, tweets, or directly through email, tweet and follow us on Twitter at incomingp or email us directly at incomingmissilepodcast at gmail.com. You can also support us directly by becoming a patron or sponsor. You can find us on Patreon at incomingmissilepodcast and choose one of three tiers of support. Patrons not only get mentioned on the podcast and get access to exclusive content, but can even join us as a guest host on the podcast. You can also opt to sponsor an episode through one-off donations, all of which will be used as giveaways for our listeners. So if you had a product, service or content that you'd like us to mention, contact us to discuss sponsoring an episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We look forward to hearing from you. We appreciate you listening and we'll catch you next time.
1: Shutdown sequence initiated.